What's up, fellas? Man, how many of y'all came tonight? You're like, I thought the ladies were going to be here. That's why I came. Everybody? You're like, I ain't saying nothing. Oh, man, it's so good to be here with you guys. My name is Andrew Patron, uh, and like Meaton said, that's his nickname because he's a meathead, so Meaton, call him Meaton, he loves that. Um, like Meaton said, I'm the youth pastor here. We got a bunch of youth pastors. I get to oversee the youth ministry. Love what I get to do. Uh, love this church. I got to be a part of Young Adults. My first sermon that I ever preached in my life was at Young Adults. I was 21 years old. I was interning. It was the worst message you would have ever heard in your life. Um, and so being here tonight, like it, it, I, feel, I feel excited to be here. And, and here's what I love about a night like this is getting together with a bunch of fellas is like kind of awkward. Right, like we're so good at broing down, but then we come to a night like this, like this just feels really uncomfortable and awkward for a lot of reasons. Uh, but what I believe is that when we do things like this out of the ordinary for the sake of God, that God shows up in ways that are out of the ordinary. And so I believe that tonight God wants to do something special, that God wants to work in your heart in behalf of your life. And so, um, man, all I'm asking is that for tonight is that you would just open yourself up, like Keaton said. I mean, there's no distractions tonight, and I believe the Lord wants to do something really special. The Lord wants to do something so profound, and so I'm going to dive right in, if that's cool with you guys. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, get there. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV, okay? I grew up on that, so that's what I like, um, the NIV, uh, and this is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, okay? It's going to be verse 9, Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Here we go says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, already preaching. Here we go. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the man that we try to be versus the man that God calls us to be. The man that we strive to be versus the man that God calls us to be. Let me pray for y'all. Lord, I thank you so much for um, tonight, God. I thank you that these fellows would drive here, um, show up here, Lord, and God, when we move, you move. And so what I pray, God, that there would be a bunch of fellows here tonight that would say, you know what, despite all the things I'm feeling, experiencing, that I'm going to move and trust that the Lord is going to move on my behalf. And all the fellows said, amen. amen. You know what my biggest fault in life, I'm going to get real honest with you guys real quick, okay? You know what my biggest fault in life is? Is I hate admitting weakness, Anybody in here? Come on. You hate it. Like, I absolutely hate admitting weakness. I remember when I first moved here, I was 21 years old. I just moved here to intern. I packed up my bags. I lived in Chad Brugman's basement for 10 months. I was a janitor at the church, okay? That was my first full-time job at Red Rocks Church. I was a janitor, uh, and I just got done playing college football, and I missed hitting people, and I missed getting hit. And so one day, I was just kind of scoping out my new city. And I'm driving down one of the most beautiful streets in all of Colorado, Wadsworth. I'm, I'm driving down Wadsworth, and, and I see it on my right. I see this kickboxing gym. And I'm thinking, dude, I could punch people and not get in trouble for it. So I pull up to this kickboxing gym, and I walk in, and I meet the owner. And he's like, bro, let, let, me, let me show you around. And 
So he's showing me around the, the gym, and I'm seeing like all the stuff they have. He's talking to me about classes and memberships. And, and as I'm walking around, I start to notice that a lot of the people in there, they kind of looked like not very athletic, uh, and, and they, they looked a little bit older. I'm like, dude, if I sign up for this gym, I will own this gym. So I literally I signed up that day and took my first class. So I take my class, and a few weeks go by, and I'm tired of hitting a bag. I want to hit a human. And so I, I, go to, I go to this guy. I go to the owner. I'm like, look, bro, I'm ready to spar somebody. He said, no, you're not. I said, first of all, I'll tell you when I'm ready, okay? Let me spar somebody. He says, okay, I'll let you spar my wife. I'm like, okay, if you want your wife to get a beat down, bring her on in here, brother. So he's like, I'll let you spar my wife. And so I get into the boxing ring, and I'm getting warmed up, and I'm like kind of working out. I'm, I'm getting, getting like ready to go. And all of a sudden, like this lady steps in the ring, and she looked a little less like a cheerleader, a little bit more like a Russian linebacker, Okay. This woman, she, she gets in the ring, and, and I'm like, okay, she, she, she's a big mama. I don't know, she, but I think I can still take her. But what I failed to realize by looking around the gym that there was all these magazine and newspaper, newspaper articles, this woman standing in front of me was a national championship boxer in Russia. You know where this is going. So they were like, okay, go. And so we're, we're kind of moving around the ring, like feeling each other out. That's weird, but we're feeling each other out and kind of throwing some jabs, some kicks, whatever. And all of a sudden, like this woman, Svetlana, throws a haymaker that could only be thrown by Thor, and I barely slip it. And I'm like, ooh, Svetlana wants to play. Here we go, right? So I'm thinking, I'm going to wreck this lady. I'm going to knock her head off. I'm going to knock her out of this gym, right? I don't care who she is, what she looks like. I mean, she's getting whooped, right? And so all of a sudden, I go, and I throw this, like, this gorgeous right hook, right? And I couldn't tell if it was Svetlana or Floyd Mayweather, but this woman, she ducked under my, my punch so fast, and all of a sudden, she comes up with an uppercut and crushes my chin. I go, and up against the ropes, and she just begins to abuse my body. She's just, whoop, just crushing me. I literally, I said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I left, and I literally, I never came back. I had paid for a whole year's membership. I literally, I never came back. I was like, I'm done. Forget you, Svetlana. Destroyed me. I didn't show back up because I was like, I'm so embarrassed that my image is no longer intact, right? I could not show my face because I showed absolute weakness, and I was not as strong as I thought that I was. And I think, like, that story is my life story, okay, on, on so many different levels. Like, my biggest faults in life as a pastor, as a leader, as a father, as a husband, as a man of God, my biggest faults in life is that I hate admitting weakness. Like, I hate it. I hate admitting that I have struggles. I hate admitting that I have brokenness. And you know why I hate admitting it? is because I always want to protect my image. I always want to protect my image, how people view me, how people see me, how God sees me. Always want to protect my image. Ever since I was a little kid, I grew up as a pastor's kid in a pastor's home, always feeling this need to protect how people viewed me. I've always said that I was in the image protection agency, like constantly protecting my image. I always felt the need to protect how people viewed me, so I never allowed people in to like my darkness to my struggles, to my hurts, to my pains, to my sins. And I think that this is like the biggest issue for so many Christians. I think this is the biggest issue why a lot of people don't want to be a Christian because they can't keep their image intact. 
I think it's the biggest issue for so many Christians, especially men who are Christians, is that we hate admitting that we're weak because we constantly want to protect our image. Look, you know why so many people, and especially people in this room, have such a hard time admitting weakness? It's because you're stuck in this trap, and it's the trap of performance. You're stuck in this trap of performance, that my worth and my value in my image of being a man is wrapped up in how I perform. So if I admit that I'm broken, if I admit that I have some anxiety, if I admit that I have some depression, if I admit that I have some identity issues, then that means I did not perform. And if I did not perform, that speaks to my value, my worth as a human being, as a follower of Christ, and as a man. But for someone, bless you, but for someone who has been in the performance trap my entire life, someone who has struggled with this more than you would probably ever recognize and understand, is that this performance trap and this image protection leads down one of two paths. Performance, the Christian who wants to perform it either leads down the first road, either pride of self-righteousness or condemnation, self-loathing. Right? Both of which are a complete misrepresentation of what God has for your life. But the person who feels the need to perform one of those two paths. The first path, pride. What happens in life when you have life whooped? Like you're going to have seasons of life where you have life whooped. Right? Like you're doing all the right things. You're treating your girl with respect. You're not doing the things you know you shouldn't be doing. Right? You're not looking to the things that you struggle to look at. Right, like you're coming to young adults more, you're reading more, you're praying more, right? And because you're performing, that speaks to your value and your worth. And, and the better I perform, the better I feel about myself, especially compared to people around me, and all of a sudden enter in pride, self-righteousness, because look how I performed, look at what I did. And so all of a sudden pride can begin to like infiltrate our heart and our soul. But what happens in that season of life where you don't have life, what, but Life is whooping you, right? Like you're struggling. Those past sins that you used to deal with are beginning to creep up in your life. You're coming to young adults less. You're sinning more. You are looking at those things. You are doing those things. Like all of a sudden, like life has you whooped and you are struggling like never before. But what happens in that season of life? Well, because you did not perform, that speaks to your value and your worth as a man of God and all of a sudden enter in self-loathing condemnation. It's like this vicious cycle that we find ourselves in. And so what do we do as a man who's stuck in the performance trap and we're in a season of life that we're living a little bit less perfect than we thought that we should be? Well, what we do because we want to protect our image is then we pretend. We put up walls. We don't let people in. We try to perform more. We put up this massive front because I can't let people see anything other than strength and perfection. Sorry, my pages are all messed up. Yeah, come on. We don't let people in because if people really knew me, if people really knew the darkness and the struggles that I have in my life, if people knew the things that I thought and the things that I dealt with, the things that were going on in my life, if they really knew me, they would judge me. There would be consequences. I would lose something or I would lose someone. And so we protect our image. We perform. We try to pretend. Can I tell you, though, that if this is you, 
that this way of thinking and living, though sometimes feels right and sometimes feels noble, will do far more to bind you than it will ever do to free you. We do far more to bind you than it will ever do to free you. And there are some of you here tonight where you know that deep down inside, your soul is screaming for freedom, but your need to protect your image won't allow it. Like you know deep down inside, your soul is screaming, screaming for freedom that you know God can provide, but your need to protect your image will not allow it. You see, the story that I read earlier in Luke chapter 18 is the story of these two men. And I believe can really speak to our temptation as a man versus who God calls us to be. But it's a story about these two men. And Jesus, he tells this parable. And, and in Jesus-like fashion, he pins like these two guys together that couldn't be on different spectrums of life. Two very different men, two very different vocations, two very different lifestyles. The first man you have is Pharisee. Right, and Pharisees were religious leaders. Like, on the outside looking in, this dude had everything together. He could check off every box. He had all the right accolades. He knew scripture. He knew how to live. He knew how to walk. Like, people on the outside looking in was like, that's a good dude. He knew how to perform. And then on the other side, you had this tax collector. And tax collectors back then were like these thugs who stole from people for their own gain. You have this tax collector who on the outwards, like, is this complete sinner knows nothing about a relationship with the Lord, has no rap sheet, has no performance, and the Lord says that for whatever reason, these two men one day go to the temple to pray. And the first man that goes is the Pharisee. So he goes up to the temple to pray, and this is what he says. With his eloquent, put-together words, he begins praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. You ever pray that prayer? God, I know I'm not that great, but at least I'm better than him, Right? That'll preach, right? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax cut. He's like, bro, I'm standing right here. Come on. And then he goes on to list off the things that he does. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Perform. Great job. You have performed. This man is stuck in this trap of performance. But then you have this tax collector. This tax collector who knows nothing about a relationship with the Lord. For some reason, he feels in his heart that he wants to go to the temple to pray. And this man, for, for whatever reason, he has probably tried everything else in his life, and he knows, like, I, I, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table. Maybe, just maybe, this God will, will spare my soul. Maybe he can be what I've been looking for in this life. And so it says this tax collector, he approaches the temple. It says the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I have nothing to offer you. I have no rap sheet. I have no good deeds. I have no performance, but all I have is you. Have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, clearly both of these men were broken. It just looked different, right? The tax collector, it was pretty clear his brokenness, right? We could see it from the outside. A lot of sin in his life, you could see it. The Pharisee was no different. His sin was just inward, right? It was just pride. Pride and insecurity, which are brother and sister. Like both men are clearly broken. You know what the difference was, though? Is that this Pharisee, 
His need to protect his image got in the way of his ability to depend on God. You hear that? His need to protect how people viewed him, how he wanted God to view him, got in his way of his ability to depend on God. You see, the tax collector, he understood something. That God is far more concerned with your realness than he's concerned with your righteousness. You hear me? Far more concerned with your realness than he is with your righteousness. Hear me. God does not love some perfect version of you. God does not love the version of you that you were six months ago where you were doing all the things right. God does not love the perfect version of you that you might be in 10 months from now. God loves you for who you are right now in the ugliness and the despair and the darkness of your soul. God loves you for that right there. You see, God's not concerned with your image. God's concerned with your heart. But God knows that your heart is burdened by your need to protect your image and your need to protect your image has gotten in your way of your ability to depend on God. Like you're sitting in here today and your heart is so burdened by your need to protect your image, and your need to protect your image has completely gotten your way of your ability to depend on God, your Savior. Can I remind you of which man went home justified? We already know, but let me read it to you again. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. All those who exalt themselves, look at me, look at what I have to offer, will be humbled. All those who humble themselves, I have nothing to offer, will be exalted. Those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God will in due time, he will raise them up, he will lift them up. You know what happens when we're not willing to admit a when we're not willing to admit brokenness, you know what happens? It puts a wall between us and God. Like there is no room for God to work in the heart of the Pharisee. No room at all. When we're not willing to admit brokenness, we, we leave no room for the Holy Spirit to move, to convict, to challenge, to heal, to redeem, to restore. You see, when we admit brokenness and weakness, it creates space for the Holy Spirit to move. When you stand there before God and stand there and say, have mercy on me, a sinner, admit brokenness, you create space for God to say, okay, now I can step in and do what I do, do what I came to this earth to do, the reason why I came to the cross. If you leave room, if you admit brokenness, you create space for God to work and God to move and God to speak and redeem and restore and have mercy and grace. So you understand something? Honesty precedes healing. Honesty precedes healing. You want God to work in your life? You want God to heal your soul? You want God to redeem you? Well, there's got to be a certain level of honesty to first admit that I actually need that. See, honesty precedes healing. I believe that with all my soul. Look, do I believe that, that God wants you to live a righteous life and fight to live according to God's word and walk in obedience? Yes, absolutely. I believe God desperately wants you to walk in obedience to live according to his word. I 100% believe that. But I also believe that God far more wants your realness than God wants your righteousness. That your, your best righteous acts are filthy rags compared to the riches and glory of Jesus Christ. That God wants your realness. God wants your authenticity. God wants your honesty more than he wants your righteous acts. 
You see, you know what set these two men apart? This is the biggest thing, and hear me, hear me tonight. What set these two men apart was not their brokenness. It's that one was willing to surrender his brokenness. The other one wasn't. It wasn't that, they both, that one was more broken than the other. It was that one was willing to admit that he had brokenness, brokenness and surrender it to God. See, both men were exactly the same. Just like every single one of us that sit in this room tonight are the exact same. For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. That I'm no better than you and you are no better than me. I don't care if you have the most righteous acts in this room. I don't care who you think you are. You're not better than the person sitting next to you. I don't care if you think you are the most ragged, wretched, horrible man in this room and you are doing things in, in private that no one would want to know. I don't care who you are, what you think that you've done, but the person sitting next to you is no better than you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but those who are willing to admit brokenness will be the ones who will truly experience the healing, redeeming, restoring power of Jesus Christ. That's it. For all have sinned. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. But when we admit it, we create space for God to work and for God to move. But Andrew, if, if I admit that I'm struggling, if I admit that I'm hurting, if I admit that I have sin, if I admit whatever it might be, that then people will really know who I am. Well, thank God. Aren't you exhausted pretending in your life? Aren't you exhausted every day showing up to young adults or showing up to work or school, whatever it might be, pretending being someone that you're not? Like at some point, you need to be the man that, that you are right now and be honest with the man and where you're at in this place. Like, at some point, you need to be honest and allow God to move and allow God to work. Like, aren't you exhausted by pretending and trying to constantly protect your image? Oh, but Andrew, like, man, if I admit brokenness, if I admit that I'm struggling, then that just means that I don't trust God. That is so much BS and a lie from the pit of hell. You see, when you show your weakness, all you're doing is unveiling his power. For his power is made what? Perfect in your weakness, right? Come on. May I remind you, Christian, that the gospel still applies to you? I don't care if you've been a Christian your entire life. The gospel still applies to you. That Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago went to the cross still for you, Christian, who has done all the things and has all the accolades that you possibly could have. But the gospel still applies you, for Christ came to what? To save the sinner and not the righteous. And actually what that verse is saying is Christ came to save the sinner and not the person who thinks that they're righteous. God came to save the sinner and not the righteous. Hear me. God is far more concerned with the direction of your heart and not the perfection of your heart. He's not concerned with the perfection of your heart. Does he want you to fight hard to live a righteous life and to be obedient? Yes. But he's not concerned with the perfection of your heart. He's concerned with the direction. And when the direction of your heart is pointed at yourself and what you bring to the table, you will catch yourself in that vicious cycle of performance. And you'll have moments where you're kicking life's butt, pride. But then you'll have moments where life is whooping you, self-condemnation, self-loathing. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to perform more, and then I'm going to get prideful, and then I'm going to screw up, and I'm going to self-loathe, and then we find ourselves in the vicious, vicious cycle. That's when 
your heart is directed at yourself. When your heart is directed to the Lord, in your worst and ugliest moments, you can stand there and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which man have you been? Which man do you want to be? Which man will you choose to be? Man, you can come on up. And we'll end with this. I didn't feel like I needed to preach a super long sermon to get my point across. I think you get it. I've yelled at you enough. Sorry. I, th- this message that I'm preaching is, is birthed out of my own life. A famous pastor, Andy Stanley, always says, like, preach out of your weaknesses and you'll never run out of material. And so I've learned that, like, sometimes I have a hard time writing a sermon, so I'm like, well, what do I suck at? I'll write a message around that. God usually speaks. It's weird. And so this, I, I want to be honest with you guys. I never want to stand up here and preach a message and, and, and tell you to be this kind of man if I'm not willing to be that kind of man myself. So I, I'm going to let you into to my story if that's all right. I've always, I grew up a pastor's kid. I grew up a pastor's kid in like, in Bible Belt, Assemblies of God, Midwest. And man, like you, you did not allow people into your struggle. You did not allow people into your sin. Whether it was self-inflicted or not, like you did not allow people in because that spoke to your value and your worth. And I remember growing up, whether it was preached to me or it was just perceived, I remember growing up like always feeling like I can never allow people in to what it is that I'm struggling with, to what it is that I'm dealing with. I can't allow people in. And so things would happen or I would mess up, I would do something, and, and instead of allowing people in and confessing and allowing people into like the darkness of my soul, I would keep it to myself. And then all of a sudden like, I graduate from high school, I, I go to college. <clears throat> and then my senior year of college, I, I felt like God called me to ministry, and I'm like, dude, I could never perform good enough to be a pastor. And so I just like sprinted from it. That's why I came out here to be a janitor. I'm like, well, all right, I'll do ministry, but I'll, I'll clean toilets before I preach. And, and so, like, I, I felt like this call to ministry, but I'm like, I, I can never, like, perform. I, I literally, I can never be that. I can never stand up on stage because I just have too much junk. And then fast forward a little bit, I get hired as a, as a pastor here at Red Rocks. And, and, man, like, all of a sudden, like, you become a pastor, and you just feel, like, to the 10th degree, like, so much more shame sometimes when you screw up. Like, you, you just feel... You just feel a lot in your heart and your soul being a pastor. Like, I could never let people in because if they really knew, they would never trust me as a leader or as a pastor. And so I, I was a pastor for, for seven plus years and just always feeling this, like, angst in my soul of, like, I can't allow people in. And it took me to when I was 29 years old, just over a year ago, where like, I felt like my whole life crumbled before my eyes. And I'll spare you the details if you really want to know. 
I can tell you personally. But just a lot of junk happened in my life, a lot of stuff that was self-inflicted, a lot of stuff that wasn't, but it was just like this culmination of just a bunch of junk came to a head. And I remember last year like it was yesterday, I remember it was like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. My, my wife was in bed. My, my son was sleeping. And I remember just feeling like so overwhelmed with life. And just so burdened with all the things that I felt, all the things that I was experiencing. And no one knew. My wife didn't know. No, no one knew the things that I was dealing with within my soul. And, and I felt like I was sitting there in my living room just like keeled over, and it was the first moment in my life, it took me 29 years to get to a place like this before the Lord. And I remember sitting in my living room and just crying out to God and saying, God, I have nothing left to offer. God, I'm so hurting. God, I'm so filled with, with insecurity. God, I'm so filled with sin. I'm so filled with so much junk in my soul. God, my mind is playing games on me. Like I feel so broken and so hurt and so lost. And I remember sitting there and I remember having a moment of saying, God, I have nothing to offer you. I've gone 29 years trying to give everything that I have to perform and God, I have nothing else to offer. And I had this moment where I was just like, God, I have nothing. And I just remember praying, God, will you just have mercy on me? Like, God, will you just have grace on me? God, like, I, I just need to feel you. I just need to feel like you still care. I just need to feel like I haven't gone too far. I just need to feel like I haven't run too far where, where you won't take me back. And I just felt in this moment like this overwhelming peace that just began to like saturate my soul and my heart. And I felt like God was just like, Andrew, I'm not mad at you. Andrew, I love you. I forgive you. And in that moment, God had so much mercy and grace on my soul. For the first time, I was like able to stand and say, okay, I can face what's next. And in that moment, I felt so much grace and forgiveness. And, he, and what the beautiful thing of a relationship with the Lord is that when we come before him like that, when we confess to the Lord, he's faithful to forgive. What really sucks about a relationship with the Lord is in the Bible it says, if you confess your sins to the Lord, he'll be just to forgive. But true healing comes when you confess to somebody else. I'm like, oh, crap. And so the next day, I marched into the office of my bosses here at Red Rocks Church, and I just told them everything. I'm like, I've got nothing to hide anymore, so here is all my junk. Here's everything. Take me or leave me, but this is all that I've got. Can I tell you in that moment, I thought that I would lose everything, but I gained everything. I gained freedom. I gained life. I gained grace. I gained mercy, and on that moment, it was like this trajectory for the next year of like really intense counseling, just trying to like deal with the junk 
in my life. And I've never experienced more freedom than that moment right there. The reality is, is for us to, to be that man and admit all the things that we're dealing with, we think that we will lose so much. But what you gain in freedom will far outweigh anything that you would have lost. And can I tell you, fellows, that there is no better time in your life than right now to be that man. Because the reality of life is pay now or pay later. And if you pay now, the beautiful thing is you'll affect far less people. You'll probably just affect yourself. You could wait till you're married. You could wait till you have kids. You can wait, you can wait, you can wait. But the longer you wait, the more people that you will affect. And I think by God's grace, God allowed me to go through that story to maybe stand up here on this stage tonight and say, what if tonight you drop the image, you drop the look at what I've done, especially compared to other people, and you say, God, look at what you've done. Can God work in brokenness that's unsurrendered? Yeah, he can. He just knows you can't. God can work however he wants, but God knows that until you humble yourself, he can't exalt you. It's biblical. It's a principle. Until you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will not exalt you. So who do you choose to be? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray for you. I just want to ask a couple questions tonight. No looking around. This is, and honestly, if everybody is looking around, who, who's thinking cares? This is, between, this is between you and God, but God, this is like your first moment in not protecting who you are and what people think about you. First question is this. You're in here tonight and you're saying, Andrew, the second that you started talking, you resonated with my soul. And what, what you're saying is just an extension of what the Lord has already been doing in my heart. You're in here tonight and you have a relationship with the Lord and you're saying, Andrew, that man is me. I've been the tax collector, but I'm ready to, I've been the Pharisee, but I'm ready to be this tax collector. I'm ready to stand before God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If that's you, would you slip up your hand in this room? Come on. Wow. You can put your hands down. Three-fourths of the room right there. You're not alone. The second question is this. Is you made your way in here tonight, someone invited you, and you're like, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Christ. But for some reason I came tonight. For some reason I showed up. Can I tell you that maybe God has orchestrated your entire life good, bad, and ugly to get you to this moment so that he could speak to you, so that you could come into a relationship with him? That until you come into a relationship with him, we believe that you will be searching and searching and searching to fill that void in your heart. But you may have came here tonight because you've been searching as far as the east is from the west, and you found nothing, and you, you thought, maybe, just maybe, this is what I've been looking for. You're in here tonight, you don't have a relationship with the Lord. But you're saying, you know what, Andrew, I want to start that. If you're in here, would you slip up your hands so we can pray for you? Anybody in this room? 
Lord, we thank you so much for all the fellows in this room. God, I know that you're speaking. God, that you're working. God, we love you. We trust you. We ask all it's your name. Amen. If you guys want to stand to your feet, we're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to play this one song right here. And during this moment, maybe you don't even worship. Maybe you just let the Lord, like, speak to you. And then I'm going to come out after this next song, and I'm going to talk about something, something real quick, and then we're going to finish worship. All right? Let's do it.
All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice. Because <laughs> I know, like, some of y'all, like, deep down inside, you're feeling like, all right, man, I got to, God's calling me, man. God's calling me to, like, a new season. God's calling me to, like, step out in faith and just trust him with it. Like I said before, but your need to protect your image has gotten in your way of your ability to depend on God. And God's like, look, I need you to depend on me. I, I know that life for you may look all together and piece together, but there's no better place in life. There's also no scarier place in life, but no better place in life than we actually get to the place of, God, I've got nothing to offer. And so I'm completely dependent on you. And I believe tonight, like, the Lord just wants to move, man. I've been praying for it. I know that like the team and different people have been like fasting for it, standing in the gap for you. I, I want you to know that I, I may not know you personally, but I have, I have stood in the gap for you and interceded for you. Maybe you don't have faith for yourself, but I, I have had faith for you. There's a few of you in here that I've called out by name, people that I know very well, believing that God's gonna do something really powerful right here. There's no distractions, no sweet honey you gotta look for after service, right? She's getting saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ at Lakewood Campus. Amen. So you do the same, then you guys come together, and then it's great, you know? But man, I, I just believe the Lord wants to do something tonight. And it's not going to happen immediately, but it's going to take us putting ourselves out there and pushing ourselves and engaging with the Lord. And I'm going to do the same. But well, you're someone in here, you're saying, look, you, you raise your hand and say, Andrew, that's me. Like, I'm tired of protecting. I got, I got nothing else to protect. Like, I, I'm ready to stand before God and it, call upon his name. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I've got nothing else to offer. Lord, would you move in my life? Lord, would you speak in my life? I believe there's some of you that have been running from the call of ministry on your life. And, and God's going to call you into ministry and you're going to step out and you're going to say yes to it. There's some of you that should be having a mic in your hand like me, but you've been too scared You've been so dependent on yourself, but God is saying, be dependent on me because I want to work and move in your life. God may be calling you into a relationship, out of a relationship. God is calling you into something, out of something. We're always in some kind of season where God is calling us to something or he's calling us away from something or calling for us to sit in something. Maybe that's for you. You've been trying to force your way out and God's like, mm-mm, I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to do something in you before I can do something through you. And I believe that the Lord, but he needs you tonight. He, he, he needs you to like step out and like have some faith, right? In order to have God-like results, sometimes we have to take God-like steps. You know what I'm saying? Like in order for God to really move, we have to be willing to step out and say, all right, this is scary as crap. I'm a dude. I lift weights. I don't do these kind of things. I don't cry. But man, I believe that the Lord, maybe some God's calling you to confess to somebody You've been dying inside and God's calling you to confess because that's where true healing takes place. I don't know. I'm, I'll shut up. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. He's convict, convicting your heart. You, you know. I don't have to tell you. You already know. But if that's you in here, I just I ask you to come, come on down front and just begin to, to fill out this altar. If, that, if that's you, come on. Come on down. We're going to do this right here. Make your way down. You can, you can work your way all, all across.
There's no shame in this game, fellas. This is good. All across this place, you can fill in over there too. There's, we got room over here. Keep filling in. You can squeeze down a little bit if you need to. Amen. Come on. This is where revival takes place right here, man. Mm. All right, so here's what we're going to do. You're, you're not going to pray with anybody else right now. This is between you and God. You'll have some moments to pray with somebody else, but right now, this is between you and God. This is you being, maybe taking a first step as a real man, and being like, okay, this is time for me to be the man that God's calling me to be. And so in your own words, just, just close your eyes, maybe raise your hands, just begin to talk to him. Come on, talk to him all, all across this place. Come on, maybe for the first time you pray aloud. Come on, be, begin to tell him. Jesus. tell him come on come on speak to him maybe you need to get on your knees maybe you need to cry out to him I don't know whatever it needs to be do it don't be afraid come on cry out to him fellas this is it this is your moment Keep talking to him. Come on, keep telling him. Come on. Come on, tell him what it is. God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, God. I've got nothing to offer. Have mercy on me, Jesus.
Okay, if, you, if you're someone in here and, and you, you know someone down here, um, or, or you're, you're a prayer partner here with young adults, I just want you to, to make your way down. I just want you to begin to, to pray. This is going to be a room of prayer. We're going to begin to pray for each other, fight for each other, stand in the gap for one another. If you're, you, you know someone down here, like you're going to stand beside them and fight with them, pray for them. Anybody in here? Come on. Stand in the gap for each other. You don't even have to know the person, but I believe, like, say, Lord, speak to me on behalf of somebody. Give me a word for somebody. The Lord's going to speak to you. Begin to pray. Come on, all across this place. Lord Jesus. 